čare Ja bez tebe sitni U polani pečali Može desuli sad Te čar zihraš u kao Sonze rutu znašo Classic Cervona Ruta Red Rue by Volodymyr Ivasyuk, performed there by Ukrainian Canadian singer and composer Oresha. Dobry večer i vitaju vas vsih dorihi radio suhači na radio programu Naš Holos Radio Krinskoho Korinja, katera podeci vam na bahatomovni radio stanci AM 1320 CHMB u misci Vancouveri. Pri mikrofoni Pavlina, djakuju šorišale perebute zimnoju na stupnu hodenu, me majmen dušeci kavino vene na sjednišnji programi. Hello there and welcome to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on AM 1320 CHMB Vancouver. I'm your host, Pavlina. Thank you so much for joining me on today's program. A little bit different, uh, not much music. There will be quite a bit of talk, unfortunately, some of it, a uh, fair bit of it by me. But uh, it is because yesterday, October 28th, was designated National Internment Education Day. So there is a lot to say about that, and um, it will be said on today's program. But there will also be our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. And coming up next is Zirka from Toronto and uh, another song about a red flower, but it's not really about a flower. This is uh, another classic Ukrainian folk song that's been around uh, quite a bit longer, and it is a tragic love story, Chervona Roja. Chervona Roja, Troja, 
To the foresight and generosity of its donors, the Shevchenko Foundation has been investing in the future of the Ukrainian-Canadian community for over 50 years. Since 1963, the Shevchenko Foundation has been funding initiatives that strengthen our Ukrainian-Canadian identity and enhance our Ukrainian-Canadian cultural heritage. These include fine and performing arts and arts groups, museums, cultural centers, education, as well as authors, journalists, and the Ukrainian-Canadian media, including this program. The Foundation strives to become the premier not-for-profit foundation in a Canada which acknowledges the Ukrainian-Canadian community as a fundamental component of Canadian society. Nash Hollis listeners are encouraged to support this vision through continued donations into the future. To apply for grants, make a donation, or for more information, visit ShochenkoFoundation.com. Hello to longtime listeners of Nashholis Ukrainian Roots Radio and those who have discovered this gem of a program more recently. On October 28th, the Ukrainian-Canadian community commemorates Canada's first national internment operation from 1914 through 1920. Growing up in the 1960s and 1970s, I don't recall ever having heard about the forced internment of 8,579 Ukrainians and other Europeans. In fact, that number was slightly higher. 156 children, 81 women, and 8,579 men. The total was 8,816. 65% of those interned were civilians, while only 35% were real prisoners of war. However, there were 85,000 civilians who were registered as enemy aliens who were forced to regularly report to the designated authorities. These individuals were not permitted to leave the country. In 1981, when researching a project comparing Three different groups of immigrants to Canada, English, French, and Ukrainian. I first read of one, General William Otter. Otter was commander of the internment operations 
1914 to 1920. When I started to examine the history of Ukrainians in Canada, particularly regarding internment, I often recall seeing military on the streets of Montreal when I was but eight, having witnessed the introduction of the War Measures Act by Prime Minister Trudeau on October 16, 1970, three days after my eighth birthday. I can only imagine what the children who were interned went through. A few days after the War Measures Act was invoked in 1970, while hammering away with some, on some cap gun strips with two friends, we got the fright of our lives. Our local provincially elected official, Noel St. Germain, lived on the next avenue. Two or three soldiers in full combat gear with their weapons at the ready ran into my friend's backyard. While doing my own research, the experience ten years earlier got me questioning more and more about the War Measures Act that had been passed by the House of Commons 15 days after the start of World War I. It was in the early 1990s while working on compiling and indexing 13 essays for a book entitled The Ukrainian Experience in Quebec, published by the Quebec Ukrainian Centennial Foundation, that helped me understand more about Ukrainians in my province. It was from an essay contributed to this book by Peter Maniski entitled Badly Treated in Every Way, where I started learning more about the national internment operation. The first internment facility in Quebec was established at the Federal Immigration Building at 172 St. Antoine Street West in Montreal on August 13, 1914. This was, in fact, eight days prior to the fact that the War Measures Act received royal assent on August 22, 1914. The first permanent internment facility in the province was set up at the Armory at Beauport, just east of Quebec City on December 28, 1914, and operated through June 22, 1916. The largest internment facility in Quebec was at a place geographically known as Lac Beauchamp. However, it is better known as Spirit Lake, which derived its name from a native Indian legend which told of a huge star appearing above the lake as a sign from the Great Spirit. The closest town, Amos, had a very active chamber of commerce, which lobbied the federal government to establish the facility 7.5 kilometers west of their town. On April 19, 1915, a group of 20 married couples with children departed by train for this internment facility. In total, there were 92 individuals. Nearly all Ukrainian Catholics from St. Michael's Ukrainian Catholic Church opened in 1911 by Metropolitan Andrei Shabtitsky. In October 1915, American Vice Council O. Gaylord Marsh had been dispatched to Spirit Lake, Quebec and Campus Casing, Ontario in order to investigate allegations of mistreatment of internees. It was from his report that we have a description of the camps and the conditions of the internees. The internment camp had 10 3x78-foot bunkhouses, each capable of accommodating 104 prisoners for a total of 1,040 prisoners. The prisoners' bunks were constructed with spruce boards covered with a layer of spruce fiber and roofing paper. Each prisoner was issued five blankets to be used on two-tiered wooden bunks with spruce boughs for mattresses. In short, conditions were not very good. I invite all listeners to visit the section on internment on the InfoUkes.com website. The entire essay by Peter Melnitsky is available there with permission of the author. Thank you, Vassil, for those kind words and that outstanding documentary on Canada's First World War internment operations. And do stay tuned for more outstanding Cultural Capsule episodes hosted by Vassil Pavlovsky in the weeks and months ahead, and hopefully years, here on Nash Holos. As mentioned, October 28th has been designated National Internment Education Day here in Canada. In 24 camps across Canada, more than 8,000 men, women, and children were unjustly interned as enemy aliens from 1914 to 1920 under the War Measures Act introduced and imposed by Prime Minister Robert Borden. 80,000 others were obliged to carry identity documents and report regularly to the police. Many were subjected to other state-sanctioned indignities, including disenfranchisement, restrictions of their freedom of speech, movement, and association, deportation, and the confiscation of what little wealth they had. These people were primarily Ukrainians invited by the Dominion government to settle the West. The website of the Canadian First World War Internment Recognition Fund features over 12,000 digitized news articles and 26 mini-films with unique stories. 
These mini-films are collated in a documentary called That Never Happened by Canadian filmmaker Ryan Boyko. It was released about five years ago. The documentary is now available on iTunes and other digital platforms. You can check the show notes of the podcast for a link. Here's an interview with the filmmaker, Ryan Boyko, from 2015 when he came to Nanaimo to film the story of the camp on Vancouver Island, one of six internment camps in British Columbia. We spoke in the lobby of the Dorchester Hotel. Last month, a Canadian filmmaker came to Nanaimo with his crew to do a bit of filming for a project he's working on, commemorating the 100th anniversary of the World War I internment operations, in which over 8,000 Canadians of East European descent, the vast majority Ukrainians, were interned in prison camps across Canada from 1914 to 1920. One of those camps was located here in Nanaimo, and there's a cairn and plaque near the site, close to where the marina is today, at Nanaimo Harbour Front. The plaque, incidentally, has been vandalized. For some strange reason, someone poured acid on the etching, which was based on a photograph of internees behind a barbed wire fence in one of the 26 camps across Canada. I had a chance to speak with the filmmaker before discovering the damage, and his name is Ryan Boyko. We spoke in the lobby of the Dorchester Hotel on a crisp, sunny Sunday morning. So we have Ryan Boyko, who is a Canadian filmmaker, and he's working on a documentary film about the internment. So welcome, Ryan. Hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, so tell us the name of your what your project is about, because it's more than just a film. Yeah, so we're doing a, a three-part project. So uh, part number one is what we're working on right now. It's a web series. So we are going to all former internment camps from World War One. There were 24 internment camps across Canada, um, but more than 24 locations. Uh, so some of these camps were, were used with other camps. So it's classed as one, but it's actually more than one location. Um, so we're going across Canada to all former locations of World War One internment sites, and for those of you who don't know what happened during World War I, um, over 8,000 people were wrongfully imprisoned in Canada, um, class, classed as enemy aliens. And of those 8,000, over 5,000 were Ukrainian. Um, I found out about this in 1995. And... At that time, it was my first experience with racism towards my culture. My experience with Ukrainian men were those of businessmen, doctors, lawyers, the premier of Saskatchewan. Um, and so to see what their parents went through in order for them to have the lives that they have, uh, it, it was something that really stuck with me. And so what this project is, is we are doing a web series, which means it's going to be available online after a rollout, which uh, we believe will be on contact. Um, so that rollout will happen. And each of these web series is a two to three minute clip, a vignette, a mini movie, if you will, of each of the internment camps. Not necessarily so much what happened there at the time, but what's happening there now. How are they being commemorated? If you were to go to this site, what would you see? And you'll hear the stories from internee descendants. So people who either their parents were, were interned, grandparents, great-grandparents, aunts, uncles. And if it's not an internee descendant, then we, we have scholars, people who have dedicated a, a good portion of their life to studying what has occurred in these locations. Uh, we also have in Brandon, Manitoba, for example, we have the chief of police who spoke with us. Uh, so it's, it's really cool. So part one is the 26th episode web series. Part two, we will be taking footage from this and other events and, and other times that we've filmed over the last five years and creating a feature-length documentary. And that documentary will be submitted to film festivals. And it's already been requested by a Ukrainian television station in uh, the Halichina region of Ukraine. Um, so that's a that's a pretty exciting thing for us. Really exciting. And, and part three. And, and part three is what really started 
this for me is a feature film called Enemy Aliens, which uh, we still are looking for $4 million in funding. And once that comes through, then we will be filming a feature film, Hollywood style. Uh, it's a fiction based based on actual events. Um, these are characters that have been created using history and information that we do have and sort of putting all of the uh, big events that we know about into one location and into one character to tell the story in a fun, epic, cinematic way that that's going to get people interested. But internment is the backdrop. It, it's, not a, it's not a story about internment. It's about two brothers. And these two brothers happen to be caught up in the internment story. Uh, so that, that, I think that's the big difference between the documentary. The documentary will be about internment and the people that were affected by it, whereas the feature film will be about two brothers on a journey to Canada, their journey for a better life, and this is what happens to them and how their, how their journey doesn't quite go as planned. Well, that's, that's classic storytelling, and what better way really to get a point across than to tell a story through people, through their experiences, and then, then you know, perhaps people will be more inclined to study it themselves and learn more. Absolutely, absolutely, and, uh, you know, we're having a, a really great time. We've met a lot of really interesting people that are, are grateful for us going across and trying to tell this story, and we've also met some people who are not so happy about us telling this story, which I think is excellent. I really think it's excellent, because... Not everybody wanted the story to be told. Not everybody wanted uh, their parents, grandparents, great grandparents' name to be smeared. It's the same. It's the same reason why nobody talked about it for the last hundred years. Nobody talked about it because nobody wanted it to happen again, and nobody wanted to be. Uh, nobody wanted to have issues with that. So um, I, th I think it's I think it's really cool when you have differing perspectives, people who are for it, people who are against it. Uh, I just I think it's a I think it's something that's really going to benefit the project. Well, it'll certainly add a new dimension to it. Yeah, um, Ryan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Now you're a um, cinematographer. Um, how did you get? Did this? Did finding out about the internment was was this a catalyst for you, or did it, was it just kind of incidental? Uh, it's it's kind of incidental. I'm I'm a director producer, not a cinematographer. I have a cinematographer with us. Sorry, yes, no. uh, <laughs> you can tell I'm a radio person, right? <laughs> <laughs> no problem at all. Um, so I started as an actor. Um, I, I was an actor for well, I still am an actor, uh, and I've been doing that for over 20 years. Uh, I have uh, I spent two seasons with the Stratford Festival of Canada two seasons with the Shakespeare on the Saskatchewan Festival. Um, I've worked at the National Arts Centre in Ottawa. I've worked all the way across the country doing theatre. Um, I've also been on numerous television shows, including Flashpoint, The Listener. Um, I did a television series called Urban Legends, where I played Bill Barilko, who was a, a hockey legend for the Maple Leafs. Uh, so you can Google that one. It's, it's out there. Um, yeah, and so I've, so I've done a lot of work as an actor. Uh, most recently, I filmed in September, I filmed a movie in Regina called Choke Slam. And so as an actor, I'm still working. But I've also been working as a producer for the last uh, several years. And it's something I really enjoy. It's creating creating project. It's not something I ever thought I would do. I mean, when, when I started or when I was in university, the idea was, I'm just going to act. I'm going to act for other people. I'm going to do other people's projects. I don't need to worry about creating my own. And then all of a sudden, after, you know, after years of doing auditions and coming close or being coming in second, then you start to go, well, why don't I, why don't I do my own projects? Why don't I start making my own projects and stuff that I, I'm not necessarily acting in all of them. Um, but creating my own projects and telling my own stories, and that's something that has become really important to me. And I, I, I am now f full of ideas, especially to tell Ukrainian-Canadian stories, which, uh, again, was not something I set out to do. It's just something that's really interesting to me because we don't tend to tell our stories. And we have so many interesting stories in our community that that why wouldn't somebody just take it i mean it's it's fresh it's 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 never been mined before and and you know if i have the opportunity to do it and do it right uh, i want to take that tell us about uh, the people that you're working with on this project uh sure so um 
I am working with uh, our production coordinator is Diana Cofini, who is also my wife, and it's been it's been an interesting time working together, and you know, being the boss and juggling the the relationship and and the work relationship, it's been it's been great. Um, our sound guy is. Uh, is uh, Adam Kolesnik, and he is my cousin. Um, he is a former radio DJ in in Winnipeg, and uh, I was looking for somebody to do sound, so I called him up. I said, uh, "How would you like to come and do this epic road trip with me?" And and it'll be a, an experience of a lifetime. And he jumped at the opportunity to do it. And then we have uh, an international observer, um, Oleksandr Kristolovich, who is the top cinematographer in Ukraine. Um, his films include Firecrosser, Ivan Sila, um, Toloka. So he's, he's done some, some pretty amazing things. And so we invited him to come to Canada because he's the cinematographer I want to use for Enemy Aliens. And uh, so we wanted to create a relationship a working relationship have him come to Canada observe how we film how we how we do permits how we get permissions um, come across the country with us uh, and, and see all of the camps firsthand because the cinematographer essentially d- designs the look of the film and so if you can actually take your cinematographer to all of these locations and have them see what it would have been like what we can get away with and what we can't get away with uh it was really an exciting opportunity and uh you know the government of canada agreed with us and gave a visa and so we're, we're really happy to have him here um helping and watching us create this project how long is he here uh he is here uh, not very long i mean he's here for the duration of the project so uh six weeks in total he he came he he flies around with us drives with us and and watches us create this project so you've gone across the country you said you've covered most of them you have only a few left yeah right now as of right now we have three locations left um that's uh fernie morrissey and lethbridge that's all that's left we've we're finishing up here in Nanaimo today and then we have and then we have those three locations which is officially two camps when do you expect your project to be completed and available to the public so the web series we anticipate uh, a rollout beginning in March of 2016 Um, the documentary the plan is to have it ready for the hot docs film festival in Toronto in May of 2016 and if all goes well and we can raise that additional $4 million, then we plan to begin filming uh, in around May of, of 2016. Now, that film, Enemy Aliens, is going to, it's a whole different ball of wax. You're going to have to get casting and costuming and all that. And have you got, have you started on that? Do you have in mind who you want to portray these characters? Yeah, we, we've definitely started. Um, We've made some connections. There are some there are some big name actors that have agreed to do it. Uh, so it's it's really about finding the finding the remaining financing in order for us to do it. Um, again, like I said, uh, we've we've got Oleksandr, who is an incredible cinematographer. We would like to work with him. Uh, so in in with that, we're trying to create a uh, co production treaty between Canada and Ukraine. Um, so, so we're hoping that we can create that in the next six to eight months. And if not, there, there are other co-production treaties that exist, uh, like Poland, that we could, we could work together through Poland, and because Poland and Ukraine have, have a co-production treaty. So, Wow. Quite an ambitious project. It's great that you're doing it, and it's wonderful that you're you're becoming a catalyst for all the storytelling that still needs to be done. So thanks so much for coming on, sharing your story, and uh, for helping other people share their stories. And look forward to uh, seeing your project, and uh, perhaps we'll talk to you again soon. My pleasure. And uh, for those of you that are listening, Paulette is actually going to be in one of these one of these web series. She doesn't want me to plug it, but uh, uh, she is going to be in our Nanaimo episode. So uh, we look forward to working with you. Oh, thank you very much, Ryan. It sure will be fun. And uh, hope to see you again soon. For sure. Take care. Ryan Boyko, Canadian filmmaker, on his three-part internment project. For more details, visit his website, Armistice Films, or check out his videos on YouTube. 
Young stranger, as you walk these trails of beauty, and you feel the mountain air caress your face, as you play in the shadow of the Rockies, remember who toiled in this place. Please remember who toiled in this place. They courted our labor and called us to settle the great Canadian plains. But how fickle the love of a fair young Alberta for her enemy aliens. And pity the young man in 1914 who hadn't a job or a trade. And doubly so, the man from Galicia, for he was soon detained. Young stranger, as you walk these trails of beauty, and you feel the mountain air caress your face, as you play in the shadow of the Rockies. Remember who toiled in this place. Please remember who toiled in this place. Our invisible hands worked in nature's cathedral for the pleasure of tourists in town. Six days a week at slavery's wages. Still, we were not wanted around. At a camp that lay beneath Castle Mountain, rotten food and sodden tents. The most glorious place in the world is ugly when seen through a barbed wire fence. Young stranger, as you walk these trails of beauty, and you feel the mountain air. Caress your face as you play in the shadow of the Rockies. Remember who toiled in this place. Please remember who toiled in this place. Our footsteps and voices have long since faded from these pristine forest paths. Yet many's the mile and the hour we trudged here to our place of labor and back. If you listen, young stranger, the wind in the pines, or the water over the stones, you may hear the songs we sang to each other to remind us of our home. Young stranger, as you walk these trails of beauty, and you feel the mountain air caress your face, as you play in the shadow of the Rockies, remember who toiled in this place. Please remember who toiled in this place.
And that was Edmonton singer-songwriter Maria Dunn with her song In the Shadow of the Rockies, the story of Castle Mountain internment camp. And uh, that instrumental on the cymbala was performed by Brian Sherwick of the Cubasonics. As mentioned, the Canadian First World War Internment Recognition Fund funds many different projects. Uh, You can find them not only at their website, but also many on YouTube. There's a number of mini documentaries now being produced by students at universities such as Wilfrid Laurier University. And I did come across two on YouTube. And here is the audio track of one of those documentaries. The Great War. The war that forged Canada as a nation. The war to end all wars. These are some of the ways that history refers to the First World War, taking place from 1914 to 1918. As Europe was torn apart by trenches and artillery, Canada was more removed from the action overseas. However, there was a different kind of war happening on the home front. Fear and racism was fostered by the state through use of aggressive propaganda and perpetuation of negative stereotypes. This xenophobia was manifested in internment camps, where Canada sent their prisoners of war and enemy aliens. Enemy aliens were any person that lived in Canada, naturalized or immigrated, that belonged to a nationality that was fighting against Canada in the war. Suspicion of secret spies and guerrilla fighters in their neighborhood turned average Canadians into monsters. One of the reasons that uh, the enemy aliens were interned is there had been a scare, uh, much like in our own times, a scare about terrorism. And there's a huge literature about uh, secret agents, uh, deep moles as they would call them today, uh, raising chaos in the society. And this was certainly very, very prevalent uh, in, in, in Canada. These civilians were treated the same as captured military personnel. German and Ukrainian citizens were faced with the reality that their own communities were turning against them in a time of hysteria. The story of how the, the civilian internees were taken into custody is, is a very tragic and awful one. And the government, uh, as really was the laissez-faire ethic of the time, left it to citizens virtually. Uh, these local people who had no particular, they had no great specialist qualifications. And the system was essentially left to them. The discrepancies between policy and practice are extensive. There was a lack of manpower to oversee and guard the camps. Another problem was the fact that before this, such a thing as an enemy alien was not a legitimate class of people. Prisoners of war were one thing, and their treatment was specifically regulated through the International Hague Convention. There was no convention for mere citizens imprisoned on a suspicion. This led to the treatment of these civilians to vary greatly and allowed for abuses. Responses varied tremendously from camp to camp, and it appears that in the better organized camps, the Commandant would actually insist that everybody look out for the welfare of the prisoners. There were instances that General Otter had to investigate of using physical violence, even torture. Despite the brutality of being turned in by your own peers and the unjust treatment they faced in the camps, the aliens did not simply accept this oppression. Uh, From everything that I've read, dissent is more um, passive measures, uh, refusal to work, uh, work slowly, work without enthusiasm, follow the regulations very, very reluctantly. This was met with food rations being taken away, humiliation or physical violence. Tensions were high between the civilians who were living miserable lives and the personnel that thought this job would be easy. While this largely broke the spirit of the internees, another factor was introduced that revitalized the nature of dissent in the camps. It would seem that the civilians became more militant uh, when uh, they came into contact uh, with uh, particularly the, the, the German uh, people who had been interned, both civilians who had military experience and some of the German uh, military personnel. And it was, the Germans inspired them to take more effective action and be, to be better organized. Of the 8,579 people interned, only approximately 800 were actual prisoners of war captured in combat circumstances. They were put in the same camps because of lack of resources to create distinct camps. The other reason was that, according to policy, there was no difference between military personnel and the townspeople taken from rural Canada. Our very first regulation, October of 1914, talks about internees and prisoners of war interchangeably. So right from the very beginning, our Justice Department did not make that distinction. 
Because of this, untrained and non-threatening civilians were put in the same spaces as military personnel from the opposing countries. These people were more rebellious and united than the civilians were in their rejection of Canadian authority. While the enemy aliens would mostly resist by striking and small acts of rebellion, the German military captives were trained for such imprisonment. Of course, uh, the 800 that are brought in um, from um, Newfoundland and um, the West Indies are merchant mariners, but also naval seamen who actually had some military experience. So you do see organized escape attempts and organized protests among the, the German groups. Some camps faced the influence of rebellion more than others. These were the camps in the Maritimes, where the majority of German Navy prisoners were captured and imprisoned. Uh, one of the most famous, of course, being uh, a large breakout attempt at the Amherst camp in Nova Scotia, uh, which resulted in some considerable violence and shooting and uh, one guard badly injured and, and one of the escapees. Uh, this camp was specifically opened when the capture of German men caused the nearby camp in Halifax to be overcrowded. It came to be the biggest camp in Canada, with more than 800 internees housed at one time. One of the prisoners, Leon Trotsky, was held there and after being released, wrote a book on his experiences titled, My Life. This book gives insight to the culture of dissent in the camps. The whole month I was there was like one continuous mass meeting. I told the prisoners about the Russian Revolution, about Leibniz, about Lenin, and about the causes of the collapse of the old international, and the intervention of the United States in the war. Besides these speeches, we had constant group discussions. Our friendship grew warmer every day. The officers ended by complaining to the camp commander, Colonel Morris, about my anti-patriotic propaganda. This did not happen until the last few days of our stay at the camp, and served only to cement my friendship with the sailors and workers, who responded to the colonel's orders by a written protest bearing 530 signatures. This was undoubtedly a dark time in Canadian history, and one that is often forgotten or overlooked. However, it is these stories of the people who refuse to sit back and be oppressed that can be instrumental moving forward. They tell us that overreacting and relying on xenophobic stereotypes will actually lead to more dissent and protest than trusting the citizens that have only been loyal to their country. And again, that is the audio track of a documentary produced by a student at Wilfrid Laurier University exploring the theme of escape and dissent in Canada's First World War internment camps. It is available on YouTube, and there will be a link in the show notes to that original documentary. And of course, there will be many other links there that you'll find of interest if um, the national internment operations of World War I is something that interests you. Coming up next is another song about the internment that was written by a Canadian singer, songwriter, composer. And um, this singer is the name of Donna Creighton. And she wrote this song called 80,000 Voices, or Look. And again, it is the story of Castle Mountain, uh, which is one of the most, I guess, renowned, um, along with Spirit Lake, uh, of the 24 camps across Canada. And this song she recorded and released, and also she was involved in a project involving the Ukrainian male chorus in Edmonton. And they teamed together and they did an absolutely stunning rendition of that song. And here they are now Donna Creighton and Edmonton's Ukrainian male chorus with Look.
Donna Creighton and Edmonton's Ukrainian Male Chorus with her composition, Look, 80,000 Voices, the story of Canada's First World War internment operations. The story of Canada's First World War internment operations would be lost entirely if not for the efforts of a few Ukrainian-Canadian scholars and descendants of internees. Starting in 1985, Researchers painstakingly pieced the story together from scattered documents and first-hand accounts of the few survivors still living at the time. Their task was so daunting because in 1954, the Government of Canada under Prime Minister Louis St. Laurent destroyed all records pertaining to the operation. So there were no official records that it had happened. For two decades, the Government of Canada, under various Prime Ministers, including Brian Mulroney and Jean Chrétien, refused to acknowledge, and in fact for a time even denied, that it had happened. But finally, in 2005, the Government of Canada, under Prime Minister Stephen Harper, passed Bill C-331, the Internment of Persons of Ukrainian Origin Recognition Act. This act acknowledges that persons of Ukrainian origin were interned in Canada during the First World War, and legally obliges the Government of Canada to negotiate an agreement concerning measures that may be taken to recognize the internment for education, for educational and commemorative projects. In 2008, the Canadian government established a $10 million fund, which is now held in trust by the Ukrainian-Canadian Foundation of Tarashevchenko. The Endowment Council of the Canadian First World War Internment Recognition Fund uses the interest earned on that amount to fund projects that commemorate the experience of thousands of Ukrainians and other Europeans interned between 1914 and 1920, and the many others who suffered a suspension of their civil liberties and freedoms. This has resulted in books, museum displays, documentary films, and multimedia projects since, and many more to come. In a statement issued on Friday, October 28, 2022, the Shevchenko Foundation stated this, We honor the memory of the internees by sharing the story of the internment operations and understanding our responsibility to educate all Canadians about this injustice in the history of our country. 
May our knowledge serve as a reminder of the need to always remain vigilant in defense of civil liberties and human rights. And indeed, that reminder is very timely in light of the invocation of the Emergency Measures Act, the successor to the War Measures Act, in February of this year by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. While it did not result in the incarceration of innocent civilians in internment camps, nonetheless repressive restrictions were imposed on some. But fortunately, only for a short time. And for the first time in Canadian history, there is an inquiry now taking place in the courts in an attempt to hold the Government of Canada and various law enforcement agencies accountable for their decision and actions in the 2022 passage of the Emergency Measures Act. So perhaps there is hope that we can indeed learn the lessons of history. For more information on Canada's first national internment operations and the Canadian First World War Internment Recognition Fund, visit internmentcanada.ca. And that was Canada's iconic duo, Mickey and Bunny, with Chorini Oriel, Black Eagle. Nijam, if just can chill in Nash Proshamov, Poranam Proshatisia, Nashodin Tejdin, Bofsha Chasta Domoviskazati Dopabachinia. Alla Peritem Yokochus, Alla Shitavasti Kimislavame Mudrostea. Nekojne Bidne, Buvaya Hidne. And our proverb of the week translates as Not every poor man deserves his fate. And that brings us to the end of another edition of Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on AM 1320CHMB Vancouver. Just a reminder to tune in to the Nanaimo edition of Nash Holos, which can be heard in the Vancouver listening area, on CHLY 101.7 FM Wednesdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. with host Oksana Pobereznik. If you miss our on-air or live stream broadcast, you'll find the podcast at our website, www.nashholos.com. There's also a link to our Patreon site there, and I hope you'll consider supporting our work with a monthly donation. Again, the website is www.nashholos.com, and you'll find all the links mentioned on this show there as well. Well, our time is up now, so to take us to the end of our program... Another iconic Ukrainian-Canadian by the name of Al Cherny, unfortunately no longer with us, but he left behind a great legacy of music. He was once known as Canada's best fiddler, Al Cherny. Here he is with a medley of Arkan, Hopak, and Kolomeka. I'm Pavlina. On behalf of all of us here at Nash Holos and AM 1320, thanks for listening and Dobranich!
chlapci. Zahrajte nám hopaka. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.